Aloha, welcome to the Big Dream School Podcast, where we explore the art, science, and soul of rocking your dreams. I'm your very grateful host, DJ Valerie B. Love. Inhale. Doesn't that just feel awesome? All right, let's rock this. How comfortable are you with discomfort? My next guest is an artist and a mama and a wife and a just general badass woman. She's reinvented herself after a battle with cancer, after dealing with difficult pregnancies and getting her babies on this planet. She's definitely been on quite a journey and she is kicking butt right now. She lives in Miami. She does the most interesting, cool art that you guys are going to love. I can't wait for you to check her work out. She's beautiful, beautiful artist, professionally trained artist. And, you know, she put that on the shelf for a little bit and, you know, once her life started getting back on track after a lot of issues, she's like, I have to do my art. I must do my art. And she is somebody who trains herself in discomfort. And she's like, you know what, if I'm going to go do this thing on this planet, I have to be okay being uncomfortable. And so this episode really talks a lot about our art and how we can get it out there on the planet and our missions and how to overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles. So I am so excited to introduce you to Narissa Balland. All right, everybody inhale with me. All right. Aloha, love tribe. So we are so fortunate and blessed today to have one of the coolest artists that I know, one of the coolest women that I know, one of the coolest moms that I know, a super badass she hates this word, cancer survivor. And I'm like, what should we call it? Cancer conqueror. So we're trying to come up with some new sexier name for this. And she's someone who beat some difficult odds to have babies, to keep rocking forward on this planet. And she is a true inspiration for me and my soul and for my children. And I know that she is going to inspire you and empower you and ignite you and your creativity and your genius and your hope to move forward on this planet with your purpose and with your mission. And so my special, special guest here is Narissa Balland. Hi, Narissa. Hi. <laughs> Narissa is, um, she is a beautiful artist. She lives in Miami and was just at the Miami Art Week and had a showing at a gallery during um, the art week where Art Basel is, and I'm going to let her kind of share about that with us. And we're going to talk today about discomfort and leaning into discomfort and leaning into, you know, how do we sit with it and how do we move past it and move forward and allow it to feed our creative juices so that we can continue to serve our mission on this planet. So, so, Hey, Narissa. Aloha. How's it going over there? Good. Great. Sunny Miami. Yeah. Oh my God. You're so lucky. 
Narissa showed me, she's got, for, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, we're going to broadcast this um, a video on the website, but Narissa just had a cool painting done, like a um, her whole, what it, it's like a wall, like a Yeah, it's, a, it's a like a long, yeah, it's a mural uh, indoors by a really awesome artist, uh, Luis uh, Valle, who's El Chen Geary on uh, Instagram, and um, he does some really cool work all really internationally, but um, in Miami is, is really well known and uh, does a lot of spirit animals and like fun stuff. He's known for his drips, um, which is like what's kind of running all behind me is there's a cherry blossom and my spirit animal is a gazelle, which is fairly important to me. Anyway, I had um, commissioned him to come and, and do a wall in my home um, because I, one, I love his work. It's so beautiful. Two, I have this very weird, awkward wall that I can't like that wraps around and I can't actually like hang much on it. So it was one way to take that real estate and be able to have something visual and also to have something that wasn't my own artwork. Um, and I try to practice what I preach when I talk to people about, you know, buying art and supporting live artists because the dead ones don't need your money. Um, <laughs> And so I have his work in my home and I'm super excited and it's uh, gigantic and it's got great energy and my spirit animal, uh, you know, is all about the health and goodness and um, Sketch got great energy. So I love it. And so I want to hear a little bit about the gazelle, Narissa. What's the power animal gazelle represent for you? Why is that important? So I'll, um, for those that are on video, I'll can kind of turn it so you can see that. Um, so it's a, it's an ancient Mayan Aztec bird and, um, it was known for its good spirits, almost like a, a, a God of the air and so forth. So it, it brings good energy. And, um, so for me, it reminds me in, in taking a look at the goodness and things versus, um, what I think I, I've always kind of had in my DNA calculated to maybe look at the the negative side or the glass half empty versus half full. And this reminds me to take a look at all of the goodness that I have in my life versus things that could, you know, be improved. And then my cherry blossom that is behind me over here, cherry blossoms are actually, you know, a very delicate tree that they only bloom for a short period of time in the year. They're very temperamental. Um, but they represent uh, the birth of spring and something new. And also in uh, the Japanese culture and Korean cultures, uh, they bring good energy towards health. So, um, so for me, that's kind of why I have the cherry blossoms. So when we worked on this together, these are things he normally paints. But in combination, I wanted it to be something that uh, meant something to me on a daily basis in our home. And I also wanted it to be super colorful. So. And so, I mean, I, you posted a lot of this on your Instagram feed and mm -hmm. I got to see it. So at Narissa Valland Art, is that it? Yeah, Narissa Valland Art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I remember seeing the work in progress and I was like, holy shit, that is so cool to have a mural in your home. And what's it feel like every time you see this? Like, what does your body do? What's your soul say to you? you know? Oh, I have like such a great energy. I find that I sit in this part of my home now more than I ever did. It used to be 
And I, I never wanted to be one of those people that had a part of like my home that was like a, a living room or something we never went into. It was only like if guests came that we could all sit in the room that we never sit in. Like take, <laughs> so, yeah, take the plastic off the couch's room. Like right. no, yeah. <laughs> but I, we just didn't sit in here. And and sadly to say is there's no television or there's no like radio in this area. Um, we eat dinner at the dining room, which is kind of combined where I'm sitting at now, which is nice because we look outside. But outside of that, we never sat in here. Now I just want to sit in here. The energy is that it gives off, and it just kind of gives like a good vibrate, like a good vibration throughout my whole body. So I don't. It's it's the color. It's also what it is, and it's a great um, engagement piece when kids come. I have two kids that are two and four, and they love it. They always when they have people over, they show them. They name the bird. The bird's names changed like ten times, but. <laughs> Like, you know, they say goodnight to the bird. It's like a real, people think we have a real pit pet because they invite them to come see the bird. And like, oh, you got a bird? And I'm like, it's not a real bird. But, um, or is it? So, yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's uh, the energy just makes me feel good and positive. And I think it does what I wanted it to do, you know? Oh, wow. And that speaks volumes, obviously, about art and its medicine, its medicinal qualities, you know? Yeah, that's and- true. It really is because like when you feel the way that you feel, like you get excited and your kids feel excited. I mean, that clearly affects our happy hormones, you know, which affects our stress levels, which affects our health, you know, and, and our relationships. And so having beauty around you and intentionally putting it in your living space or your workspace or anywhere is so critical that I think, you know, it's such a great thing for people to do that they don't think about it as much as maybe they could with like serious intention. So I, I think a part of the decision in bringing, in bringing that home in general was the fact, so I have a studio that's located down in little Haiti um, near Wynwood. I uh, don't work out of my home, but I'm definitely by, by inspired by being in that environment um, where there's, if you haven't been to the Wynwood or little Haiti area, um, it's the culture is very urban street art in terms of a lot of graffiti and murals on buildings. And it's, it's quite beautiful. Um, I wanted to be able to bring a little bit of that inspiration back to my home and not have it so separate, but um, I definitely don't use my home as a space to that. That is my workspace per se. Um, And yes, I have a lot of my own art, um, but it was also a chance to be able to, give back to other artists and to start to broaden my horizons and appreciate other people's art um, in a different way. So I think now I'm trying to build up my collection with other artists, uh, not so much just about my own art. That is so cool. And I saw, and I want to come visit little Haiti. That sounds magical. (laughs) You know, I love street art and I love the vibe of little artists places where they start it's like this the the area and the landscape starts really getting populated with the art and the flavor of the people living there um it's funny they just are naming it a little portion where i am now is all under renovation because it's pretty down and dirty there uh called magic city (laughs) when you say it was magical i was like it's now called magic city (laughs) i mean it's true like it's like so cool because it it's I, you lived in New York for quite a while, like, and I don't know, you probably lived there after, but when I think was it Mayor Cock and he got um, 
all the graffiti and he stopped the graffiti and then it really changed the crime level in mm-hmm. the city. And like, imagine, you know, what, what I'd be curious what the stats are when people create more and more and more public art, like what are the stats for the crime levels going down even more when places yeah. are beautified, you know, I, I, I'm just curious about that. Cause I think. I well, that's an in, it's an interesting point because actually there was a documentary recently that I just saw um, that it was made about four years ago, but it just won like an Emmy now in the art world. Um, and the people who are the original uh, resident artists of the studio that I'm at at YoSpace um, were ones that were a part of this documentary. And they talk a lot about uh, the New York art scene versus the Miami art scene um, differences and similarities. But I think in terms of there's there's a big difference between mural artists and graffiti artists. So the street artists that go out that are not paid that are considered to be like in a sense defacing or finding an area to do graffiti is very different than a lot of the artists here that are commissioned to do sides of buildings and their their art is intentional and it's still street art and it's still urban. Um, but I think that's where the beauty in it comes. So down here, there's not really the crime around graffiti. It's almost seen as like, this is part of the landscape. And if you take that away, it would change our art district as we have it all together. You know, it's, it's very different than New York in that sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, public art is so, I just think it's so important. And I just want to keep seeing more and more, you know, opportunity yeah. for artists to express themselves because it does change just like it changes your mood and your vibration of being you know around your 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 mural in your home I mean it really does create a sense in the community of feeling like wow this is beautiful like there's some hope here and there's some creativity in my in my hood you know yeah um, so I also there's a um I saw a post on I think it was on I don't know it was on Facebook or Instagram but it was about turning your 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 area your life your home into a vision board like a living vision board you mm-hmm. know and like having different areas you know whether it's a little altar whether it's a piece of art whether it's the sound or the smell or your garden or some plants but really um really turning your space into a living representation of your dream you know using like stuff in your home and so i think I don't, it just seems to me like you've done part of that, you know, with the, creating this beautiful mural in your home. Like it's part of the vision for you to have health and it's this vision to have, you know, looking at the positive things in life, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's so cool. Um, what do you think about that concept? Does it resonate with you as like something to do? Yeah, I think, I think kind of that's something I've always embraced, um, but maybe not with the same meaning behind it maybe more from the visual, just as an artist, I think visually I like to have things look nice and the way I define what that means or pretty or what have you, or um, have a specific style or a genre that, um, that I feel good in. My, my home for me has always been a space that like um, needs a lot of order and uh, I like it to visually be pleasing the way the outlines of things bother me if they're not like lining up in a way that they should be or things in the good energy space but I I think what's fascinating about what you're saying I think before you can get to the little details in look as everybody's at a different level of um 
an economic bracket and people also have different areas. They may not live alone, so they can't do everything that they want to have in their space and they could feel trapped or crowded or something like that. You know, you have roommates or, or you live with people that don't have the same taste, even as partners, right? Yeah. Um, I think the space for me, and that kind of alludes back to when you were talking about getting acquainted with the discomfort, right? Um, it's the same thing. I think part of where everything stems from comes internally from within. So before your environment may, may be beautified in specific ways, I think you have to internally turn up the awareness level and understand what you need to put in your environment that will satisfy that. So like, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, I probably would have never thought about having a mural in my home. It's a little outrageous. Um, and it's not for everyone. But at this point, it is something for me because I'm very in touch with things that I need around me in order to create that. And it doesn't need to be this dramatic or this crazy. Um, but I think first people need to find that home and that space a comfort, a, a comfortable creative space within, and then you can bring it external. Because if you don't have it settled and resolved, or in a in a good place um, within, you can't make your exterior any better. So. Totally, yeah. Like what a great metaphor for. I mean, that's how it, it, it is in life. It's easy to sit and try to, you know, I'm going to paste it out on the outside and put all the pretty stuff, but really, it's it does start from within. So that's where we get to, to practice. And yeah. so, um, and do you do anything with just uh, before we move on, do you do anything with feng shui? For those of you guys don't, who don't know what feng shui is, it's like a, it, I, I haven't done anything that is, um, I would say classified or truly as like feng shui or like looked it up. I think I kind of really go off of my own, uh, energy or vibe. So when things are put a certain way, I, for me, I think I have um, a pretty good idea of when I don't feel comfortable in in something. If I I tend to change things around or or move furniture, or move things in a specific way. I think that more for me comes on a natural level, um, and how I've always been in like any any place that I've ever lived. But I haven't done anything like formally with it. I'm at a point where I would like to sage my home, which sounds crazy to some people, but um, I did re I did learn a little a little bit about saging, and I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in that. It has nothing to do with feng shui, but it does have to do with the energy in your home. So it does, and I and I think like the intention, whether it's saging, whether you're using a bell, whether you're using a chant or a candle, it's you know certainly some people can assign different meanings to that. But I think energetically, if you assign a certain meaning to, you know, walking around and clapping, and if that meaning is I'm going to clear some spiritual mm -hmm. bad juju, then that's true. Like, you know what I mean? That there's yeah. no like scientific objective way to go, this is actually a trillion percent. Like, you know, if you take bleach, it's like, yes, it will kill some germs. You know, that's like, yeah. you can show that in a lab. Like, can you show that sage clears bad vibes in a lab? I don't know, uh, but probably not, <laughs> you know what I mean? but I yeah. do it. And it's like, because I energetically feel like pushing things out that don't serve my space by saging sometimes, yeah. it feels like I'm, I'm aligning myself with that vibration. So I think why not go for it? Do some sage sister. Um, <laughs> we'll try it. We'll see. 
<laughs> right on. Um, okay, so let's chit chat about your um, your collection of art that you've just created and what inspired you. And you know, I want to I want our listeners to hear all about this beautiful. Do you call it a? I call it a collection. So the Soul Selfie Collection. Oh, okay. So, well, I guess I call them series. A series. Okay. I call them a series because they're they're ongoing. So lately, like the se- different series I have, they kind of spin off from each other. So I have a first where what I started with was something called the Empath series, and or even before that, like 2014, when I didn't even I wasn't a full time professional artist, and I was you know had a uh, a different job, and I was working on my career, and right before I had kids. Um, I did some work. I did something called the protection series. And at the time, I I was very interested in the idea and myths that come along with um, the way people feel safe and the way people understand, deem, or accept protection in their life. And mm-hmm. so through that, it was the idea of finding this symbol. And at the time, I had no idea where this was going. It was just, I was, I think it was, I was at a time where I had recently converted um, to Judaism. And in that, I was looking for a way that, um, that Christianity, which is what uh, the religion I kind of grew up in as a Greek Orthodox, was there a way that I could find a tie in, in saying there are similarities, like regardless of what religion you're in, there's certain basic principles in life that we all live and we need safety and uh, we need shelter and just as human beings, what, what do we need? And so in that, I think I was going through a little bit of a spiritual time, having a hard time having kids and trying to figure out like, okay, and be okay with, like, if I can't have kids, then what life will I, will I have? Um, what will I do? And what, where will that journey go if it doesn't look like it's going to be this direction that I was trying to have? And so in that, this symbol of uh, the hand of God or hand of Fatima, which is um, the common term in, in Islam, it's, it's the protection. It's the hamsa, the hamsa hand, or usually one eye, which is like ward off all the bad spirits. And so I started to research it a little to say, how common is this and how many, is it really as universal as I think across these three major religions? Cause there's lots of re- religions or spiritual groups out there. And it turned out like pretty much in most cultures, the idea of this evil eye to protect you and ward off spirits or bad energy or people coming at you was across the board. So I started to kind of create these, um, portraits of Hamsa hands. So instead of having it as a hand, it would be a portrait of something and it would have different, you know, um, symbolism that would make up the face of it, always just using this one eye. Sometimes it had darker sides that I was kind of addressing, um, kind of darkness that can fill us versus always the positive and and it was just playing a lot really. And I was playing with materials and uh, mixed media and then that, that period, uh, that protection series only consisted of about five pieces at that time in, in 2014. Um, I moved on four years later. A lot of stuff had happened in my life and I returned to art. Um, and through that, now I had two, two kids. Um, I had a cancer diagnosis that I was battling. And then just like everyday life things that occur. I think also you get 
hopefully you get a little wiser with age and some more time has passed. Um, and a lot of things were coming up for me in terms of more so probably from a cancer diagnosis to say, hey, like, what legacy am I going to leave behind? And, and who, what have I done? And um, if I died tomorrow or in a year, would I be satisfied with anything that I've done? And I started to question a lot, like very large questions, which um, probably I think most people could understand that I think when there's mortality becomes more of a real issue. You begin to think about the reality of the life you're leading, what you've done, and, and what you could be doing or what you would want to be doing. So as I moved into art and doing art full time, I when I started, you know, being there's a famous quote that I love, and um, creativity takes courage. And it's by Henry Matisse, where it originated from. And it couldn't be more true. And it's used a lot in um, books today by, uh, by other people that talk about being an artist or just a, and when I say artist, I mean a creative person. I don't necessarily mean like a painter or visual artist. Um, it takes a lot of courage because there's a lot of a failure in it on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a lot of rejection, just kind of like acting, right? You can apply to a lot of different things to get in for rewards, shows, etc. And there's a lot more nes no's than there are yeses. Kind of like telemarketing. You probably have to make a hundred calls before you get somebody that wants to talk to you on the other end of the phone. So you have to be able to get through that. And um, not everybody can. And there's a lot of fear that, one, I think humanly we just are built to have. And then two, I think there's, there's fears that we conjure up and we have due to our environment or our beliefs or what we've told ourselves over and over again. Um, or lack of achievement for things maybe that we haven't achieved yet. Um, so anyhow, that when I was ret returning to art, the, the most important thing for me was where do I begin and what do I want to say? Because for me, art, um, the communication portion is, is very important as a visual artist, right? So 7% of communication is articulated. The rest of that 93% is broken up in other ways that people um, perceive things, whether it's like body language, it's something visual they're taking a look at, um, color, uh, sound, sight, smell, a lot, lot of things, nonverbal ways um, that come into play. And so I think for me, I, I felt that in moving forward and, and instead of taking, looking at things on a magnitude of greatness that would take me to, you know, in five years I could do this or in 10 years, I don't really look at it like that because I don't have that kind of time. And not that I'm like dying of anything right now. I'm, I'm currently healthy and, uh, you know, I'm continuing to follow, you know, my thing. But I don't look at it like that because I don't know that I have that kind of time. You know, I'm a person that has a 50% chance of cancer returning. I'm not doing any medicine because I don't have any cancer in my body at the moment. So I'm just, you know, following it. But when you have a 50% chance of something returning and having to relook at what you're going to do, time for me is, is not the same way I used to look at it. So now I look at it in smaller increments, and it's more for me about the moment. So when I returned to the art, I said, there's something with that series from 2014 that I think has an, a thread through to where I am now. Almost like I started something and I didn't really understand um, where I wanted to go with it or the message so much outside of the piece. And, and now I did. So I went to, to continuing, but, um, 
maneuvering a bit, I went to this empath series. And the empath series for me is, is really based on we all come from, we're all cut from the same cloth, right? And just the path or direction that we've gone spiritually and uh, how we identify ourselves in the world today can be quite different. But what fascinates me as an artist is that we we really all come from the same place. So, but we're also very different. Um, And in that, it's about embracing those differences, uh, but being aware of them and understanding them. And so for me, an an empath is a highly sensitive person um, that really feels the effects of their environment or other people's stories around them, so much so that they tend to take them in those stories as themselves on their own. And I'm definitely an empath. Um, And so with that, I I thought, what an interesting way to take kind of the beginning of time traditionally as the stories that are based from an Old Testament or the Torah, which I had never read. And I challenged myself to do so only because it's interesting to me as somebody who converted, I've never actually like read any of that. I mean, I did a lot to convert, but they don't make you like read the Torah. And I never read the Bible like growing up or anything like that. So I said, let me read these five stories from them. Take a primary theme that I feel is uh, relevant today um, universally and create a character using the silhouette of the hand of God um, as and with the eye for protection as a way to communicate something that would invoke thought uh, about yourself. So for instance, like there's a book of Genesis and that is really about what it means to be made in the image of God. So for, for me, it, I really struggled with that because there's lots of different images of us today. And I don't just mean visually, but I mean the way we lead our lives and what kind of relationships that we have with people, um, how we physically look, uh, what we do on a day-to-day basis. Um, what does that mean to be made in the likeness of God? Is it just visual? Is it your being? Is it, you know, how you're living your life? Um, and there's a lot of questions I had with that. I don't necessarily agree with the way that the story was told in the sense that it excludes a lot of groups of people that exist today, or there isn't a place for them within that story. But instead of talking all about what I agree or don't agree, it was more just about having creating pieces where people could have conversations um, with themselves about primary themes of life. Um, and it's more about just an awareness building to get to know yourself and what your thought patterns are, what your behaviors and your beliefs are um, truly. And from that series, I started to think about uh, and it spun off into these soul selfies. So those pieces are are large and they're, I think, beautiful, <laughs> but they're um, they're very delicate and there's a lot of layers to them, almost like an onion. So there's many, many layers between paint and paper that are very thin. Um, I always paint over those stories. So the story that I'm reading is the story that those um, portraits are painted over. So it's not intentional to read that. And then I always um, wrap I always begin each of my pieces with what's called the Hamsa prayer. And then I wrap them either. So those pieces are wrapped on the side. And by wrap, I mean, I write it all out and I wrap the sides of the canvases that have that in almost a kind of an urban street feel in terms of a type. 
Um, that prayer itself that people aren't familiar is very short and it's, um, I, it's not, I don't, I don't really even consider it spiritual or religious. I think it's just feel good and it's a reminder to return to something. And so it's, uh, let no sadness come to this heart. Uh, let no trouble come to these uh, arms. Let no conflict come to these eyes. Let my soul be filled with the blessing of joy and peace. Um, can mean a lot of different things to different people. I think it's a good way to stop and be in the moment and to recognize where you're at or maybe what you're feeling and then move on. Um, you're acknowledging it and then you need to move forward with what you want to do. So for me on a daily basis, that's kind of the ritual I have when I'm working on a piece of art. It grounds me. It allows me to say if I have some fear in something I'm doing or I'm, I'm aggravated because I something isn't working out the way I want it to work out in the studio, which happens all the time. So even though I do something that I love and which is very common when people think you're doing something you love that every day is just like an amazing, wonderful day. And it's not, you know, like I, I make jokes sometimes on Instagram where I'll post something like waiting for the paint to dry. Like this is the most boring thing I've ever done. Or I just broke up with myself today because I had to leave the studio because I don't know, this is garbage. Like what I'm doing is not, it's not working. And I, if I don't step away from it right now, I'm going to continue to keep making this terrible piece of work that I am not happy with. Um, and that happens a lot. Or I don't get the outcome of something that I try that in my mind was going to be great. Um, but I would much rather be having those obstacles and challenges in doing something that I love than doing something that I don't love and still having obstacles and challenges because they exist. I know I'm probably on a, on a rant. But um, in the Soul Selfie series was another way to engage people without using um, biblical or spiritual text in any way um, that was a little softer and maybe more palatable for some people who don't, um, one, find it offensive that I draw on, you know, pages of that talk about God as um, books that are seen, uh, you know, in very high regards. But I, the whole thing is I want people, my, my mission in, in, in creating art is I just want people to be uh, real with themselves, which is something so hard to do. I found it really hard to do. It's taken me a long time to get there. And I don't think I'm the only person in that boat. And so if I can help inspire someone to have a conversation with themselves in a real manner to discuss um, where they're holding themselves back, take accountability and responsibility for that, but first is to be aware of it, then to be responsible and own it, and then find a way that you can improve it and, and not be that obstacle. Uh, that would be like my greatest mission. And so the only way I know how to do that in, in the, a talent that I think I've been given to use is, is my art. And it's also a way that continues to allow me to work through my own, own stuff at the same time. So that's kind of what I'm at. Wow. I love you are so remarkable. <laughs> I love hearing the arc of the progression of the series that you created and just getting inside the mind of an artist and what comes through. And it's not just like, I'm going to make some art today. It's like, there's a whole energy around your spiritual process, your emotional process, obviously the discomfort that shows up, um, the self-judgment and the criticism and how do you 
you know, it's that intelligence of like, I'm just going to step away from this right now. That's hard, right? Especially yeah, if it's like, really hard. I, need to, I need to produce, I'm supposed to make this thing or I have a deadline or what if it's not good enough, you know? And it, it really does take courage and bravery to put yourself out there, whether it's a song, whether it's a podcast or a piece of art or a business project or a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, holy cow, right? It's like, oh my God, that's the hugest piece of art that we get to be a part of co-creating. And right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, right? Um, so what, how do you help, how can you help the, our listeners like maybe move forward in a simple practice? Like we're talking about our experiments of the week. Um, we'll talk about that a little. And I also want to talk about your women in art um, project that you're starting to birth in Miami, which is really neat. Um, but what's a, what's a way that, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, we always do a seven day experiment here at the big dream school and Nerissa and I were talking before the interview started and she was, she came up with a really good one. So I'm going to let her explain it for everybody so that we can do one simple thing each week to rock our dreams. So I think, uh, I think Valerie, that, um, for people that have dreams or, um, ideas of where they want to be and what they want to do, um, there takes, there's a lot of, right. There's like a lot of ingredients in that. So to really simplify it down to one thing, I'm going to throw, let's say one thing in the melting pot. And, and I think part of that is before you set out on, on the dream, again, I, I kind of bring it back internally um, for some grounding is being able to um, sit with your own discomfort. It's okay to be uncomfortable. And I think I think it's a, a really common universal theme that people, and which is totally okay and completely understandable, do not want to feel uncomfortable, right? Who, who wants to, most people don't want to live in misery, let's put it that way. Or most people don't want to feel uncomfortable or fearful or a particular way. So we tend to come up with different mechanisms to avoid being uncomfortable. Um, Sometimes that drives us to be more uncomfortable and it doesn't work. And sometimes it does. It's a great evader to avoid all feelings, emotions, and um, awareness to make a change. And I think that before you can be successful in moving forward in any dream or anything that you want to do uh, to move yourself in a direction where you want to be, you have to understand and you almost have to invite that uncomfortability in and you have to be able to sit with it and get to know it. It's almost like inviting it in for tea or coffee and like having a conversation um, and being very real with it. But the trick with that is you don't want to invite, it's not the, uh, it's not the guest you want around for a really long time. <laughs> so the, it's a tap dance a little bit, right? You want to invite it in, you want to get to know it. And then you want to set the, the date, it's time to leave. Um, and, it's just, and it's okay. So I, I practice this a lot because I'm uncomfortable in a lot of times in, in kind of a new path that I've taken um, in, in just anything when I'm meeting new people or when I'm describing that I like work in art or if I have art and I'm showing it to somebody and I have feelings of like, 
I don't know, are they going to like it or not like it? And do I care if they, uh, I want to pretend like I don't care so much if they don't like it, but I care, you know, like if somebody doesn't like something, my feelings still get hurt. I'm, I'm learning to live in the vulnerability, right? But first I think is understanding the, where you're uncomfortable things. And when you can, you can get a grasp on that, it will help you to be able to move forward when you have those moments that you don't have courage or that you need a little extra support, but that support comes within. It doesn't come from an external resource. So my seven-day challenge to people or exercise is each day, no matter how busy you are, so if you're, if you're a mom with kids or a parent, a dad with kids, um, that you find that you don't have any moments to yourself or you're working all the time and you don't even have moments to try to do something for yourself in some capacity, uh, you always have five to 10 minutes. And this is really a, a reality that you have it. It's just, you have to make that time. And if you don't make it, then you're not ready. Um, and that's okay. But then you need to tell yourself, I'm not ready. Like for me, I wish I was exercising more and I could, I could say I have more time to do it. I have time to do it. I'm not doing it. You know why? Because I choose to do other things. Okay. And I'm all right with that right now. It's not like the end of the world. Okay? <laughs> like, um, oh my God. I still read and, and, and my point to that is with people out there is they, if as long as you're real with yourself. So for seven days, if you can take five minutes or 10 minutes, whether you're in the shower or you're driving somewhere, whether the grocery store or commuting to and from work or pick up your kids or something and you have five to 10 minutes alone, go to the bathroom and close the door, sit down wherever it is and have a conversation. Acknowledge what you might have been uncomfortable with in that day. Um, Cause I guarantee there is something, somebody might have said something to you that triggered you. Uh, you might be defensive over something. You could have watched a movie or a show or listened to something on the radio that also triggered something, a, a feeling that connects you back to who you are. And I bet in that uncomfortability, I guarantee if you document that, it can be mentally, you don't have to write it down. You don't have to go out and buy yourself a pretty journal that you might never write in again. Just take note of it. It's only seven days. If there's a consistency in that uncomfortability, at the end of your, on the seventh day, t- take a little of that, use that time that you have. And if you find a consistency or a pattern in that uncomfortability, which I guarantee you will, um, then that's something you need to think about. What do I do past the seven-day experiment to begin to become more comfortable with myself or the idea or something and begin to think about resources that you can move past that that will help you? Because I, I try to sit with that and I found for a long time I tried to um, not be uncomfortable and find a lot of ways to avoid that in many different facets. Uh, and once I actually paid attention to it and I invited the uncomfortability in, which really, really sucks. And it's not a fun exercise. Um, you move past it. It doesn't, it doesn't sit there. I think that's the greatest thing of all I can share with someone is that all of what you have is only in that moment. It continues to get, to move past it and change if you will make the time to do it. But you're you're the author of your own destiny and your own life. And no matter, we all have uh, stories to tell and we all come from different places and different stories. Some stories are the same, some are different. Some are, might be deemed worse off than others, um, which honestly, there's no real worse off because your story is your own story. Your life is your own life. 
you don't know any different. You don't have someone else's story. But if you don't learn to uh, pay attention and become more aware of yourself and who you are and what you're doing and the impact that you make on yourself as a person, you'll never be able to get to that big dream uh, because you're, you're your own obstacle. You're in your way. And until you can recognize that, um, it, it takes practice and it, it takes some time to get there. It's not, won't happen in seven days, but you can do maybe one little tool, which is what I'm saying is take a moment to, to get uncomfortable and, and learn about yourself a little bit more. Yeah, totally. And I so hear you, Narissa, like talking about it, it is a, it's a lifetime practice to know thyself, right? And, and really be honest with your yeses and your noes also. And, mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to have different boundaries. We're doing actually this week's experiment that I'm doing with our guest, Kenlyn Colleen. We're doing a self-sovereignty ex- experiment and it's about knowing yourself and are you saying yes because it's really true for you or are you saying yes because you feel like you have to because of some external thing outside of yourself? So it really is a lifelong process to like no, when your yes means no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, and I know personally, like this book that I've been birthing in my belly, it's, it really is about like I had, certainly there's times in life where we compromise. That's part of being in relationship. That's part of being a human. But there's a time when you abandon yourself, you know, and because you don't know. And, and, you know, I know I went through a series of saying yes to my no's and no to my yeses way too much like and so it was out of balance and it created all this disharmony elsewhere so you know it's all connected you know and so really knowing yourself and taking being committed to that being committed to living authentically and and showing up is a courageous act like you said and so we are all life artists you know and we all are creating these masterpieces called our life and so sitting with that discomfort is super important. Like you said, I love it. I'd heard for A plus homework, maybe, um, <laughs> or, or extra credit. Um, I remember, I think it was Tim Ferriss. I was listening to an interview with him and he talked about planned discomfort, like scheduling in your day. So once you create, you know, like with your experiment, creating awareness and and noticing like, why am I, how am I discomfort, dis, how am I uncomfortable and why? And then the next level is like, can I dance with it? Can I be with it and and evolve and transcend the discomfort into something that's called growth or transformation, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really like the idea of planned discomfort. And, you know, for you talking about, oh, I have time to exercise, but I'm choosing to do something else. It's like, that's like my thing that's missing on my calendar is like the deep, because that's my planned discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I know it's supposed to be on my calendar and it's supposed to be more, but I'm like avoiding. So I guess I get to dance with that part of my little journey here. Um, that's so cool. So, okay. So dream jockeys, you guys, this is going to be a fun ex- experiment for sure. So we want to hear about what's making you uncomfortable. How are you sitting with it? And what are you going to do about it on the other side? Um, Narissa also has a really great song of the week that I love and I'll let her tell you and tell you guys why she chose it. It's such a great jam. So my song for the week is Alicia Keys, This Girl is on Fire. 
And I love the song uh, for a few reasons. Um, it has a lot of different levels to it. Uh, it's not complicated in its lyrics. Uh, so you can understand the lyrics. And besides the fact that she has an amazing voice, um, there is literally something in the vibration of the song that physically makes me feel happy. Um, and and it, it really lifts me up and makes me feel very positive. So if I'm not feeling so positive, the song can give me a boost. And if I'm already feeling great, it just helps me set me on fire even further. So I really like that song. And there's something about it too that uh, kind of coalesces with a, with a, a theme, which is just in terms of saying like, I deserve it and it's okay to be on fire, you know, rather than always just, we're constantly always, I think, trying to improve or recognize things that could be better as artists. Um, how could the work be better? How can we move it to the next level? And so for me, it's like, hey, it's okay to just say like, I just did something and it's great. I mean, it, and it can be great for now and I can move on to something, but it allows me the moment to sit and, and uh, also just enjoy a moment versus having to move to the next one in, in that capacity. Oh, I love hearing that. I know it's so hard sometimes to celebrate your now and like the yeah. little micro wins that we do each day because we think like, well, the big picture is not complete. So I have to wait to celebrate until it's all done, you know, or this right. mission is accomplished. And it's like, no, dude, micro celebrations every day. It's cool. are cool. And having a song to light that up, you know, episode nine is, um, music is the medicine and the DJ is the doctor. And it's like, you're your own DJ of your life, right? And right. you get to choose, do I need to like light myself up? Is it time to chill out before bed? Is it time to have an awesome cry? You know, do I need right. to get angry and let some of that vibration out? So it really, I use music very intentionally. It's prescriptive to me. Like I've really gotten a lot of, of, value and a lot of healing around different types of music in my life from decades. And so it's, I think it's, it's magic and critical for us to well, do. Well, that is scientific. Music does change the way you think and feel. I mean, you can yeah. think about even if you put yourself listening to some somber music, suddenly you can start to be like, hey, now I can get into my discomfort. I might have not been there, but uh, now I'm listening to this and I'm about to ball. And I don't know why, you know what I mean? Like, it's so it's, true. Yeah. I'd be curious to see an art exhibit. I imagine some research has been done, but similarly, you know, the vibration of sound creates, you know, these emotional responses and chemical responses in our bodies and our systems. I mean, I imagine walking through a giant interactive art exhibit where it's gorgeous and beautiful and then it's like clockwork orange and you know horrific and then you're like whoa like what would be I'd be curious if they were doing some some metrics on that I did you know? in was it two, 2001 or whenever I can't even remember but when I had my thesis at grad school I did an installation and I was a I was more in the fine arts I was in the painting program but I didn't I wasn't doing like a uh, an exhibit with painting at the time. I wanted to do an installation. So then it was something new and a little bit different uh, at that time um, when I was going to school. But it was about the five senses. And uh, you weren't – only a certain number of people were allowed into the show at the same time. So it was like red, red velvet rope and a bouncer kind of outside. And then 
you were judged when you came in, meaning judged by your height, weight, um, in terms of how you'd see the show and there'd only be one way to see it. And so one way to go, which would be in complete darkness, which would be feeling so through touch, smell, and sound, there was a sound room with music. Uh, you had to crawl through a tunnel and go through this black portion of the space without being able to see anything um, and use those senses to get through. And the other side was uh, lit up. And so you used sight and, um, and there was also taste on that side. So there was different ways. But uh, so it was interesting that you should say that because it was not like there was scientific, anything scientific coming out of it. But at that time, I was very interested in investigating uh, using your five senses to go through a show and an installation and um, and then also putting judge and not allowing you to see a full show. Like I was determining based off of these criteria how you would be able to see it, which is, I found, I find a little interesting. So, And so what were, what did you discover about the people's experiences and your well, it made, experience? It made people actually. uncomfortable, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no one wants to get weighed and, uh, and looked at front. No one wants to be judged necessarily on their physical appearances of things. Mm. Um, some of that was due to crawling through tunnels and specific things that you couldn't do if you were a certain size. You wouldn't be able to get through that side of the show. But um, And then sometimes it was just when we had long lines during uh, – for the, it was my thesis show, so it was pretty big. The like the whole school, and then people you invite come. Um, but uh, so I had uh, quite a long line since there was only a certain number of people. I think we'd let five in at a time because we they'd split up through the different and end out at different exits. Uh, I would then when well, we had to speed it up because not everybody could stand on a scale. It would just be like you. You can go that way, and you can go this way. Um, so just to move it along, so it did kind of default a little bit away from where I wanted it to be, but it was still a judgment. And it was fascinating because some people would come back in line again, saying like, could I get back in line and go the other way? And um, it was like, no, because that was your experience. Like you only got to experience the show one time. Um, oh, wow. so it was like really kind of putting a lot of um, terms and conditions on people. And I don't, it made people, it was fascinating because it makes people want to come back. <laughs> um, and I was just making them uncomfortable in, in different ways, but not really knowing why as much back then. But I was just, I was more fascinated with uh, using your senses to, to, uh, to, to strike an emotion or a chord. Totally. Wow. And you went to, was it RISD or Pratt? No, Pratt. Pratt. Pratt, and, Pratt Institute in New York. I just, I dream of going to art school one day. Like hero dreams of sushi, Valerie dreams of art school. Um. <laughs> you know what? Now, it's a, I have to tell you, art school was the worst and the best thing that happened. The best because it's a great resume builder and I went, happened to go to a very good school. But it was the, probably the worst couple of years that I ever had in school because I'd never felt more judged and critical and critiqued and uh, wanting to fit in, not fitting in uh, on so many different levels. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe going back now in my forties, it would be different, but being there in my twenties, I didn't have the power to feel like I had a voice to say, like, if I didn't agree or I wanted to have a debate, I didn't have that confidence. So for me, uh, the art, art school was, uh, was a struggle. It was a real struggle. 
well, this is an awesome opportunity to talk to your 20-year-old self because you know there's a bunch of your 20-year-old selves out there on the planet right now listening to this. And they are seeking their voice. They are seeking power. They are seeking a place of sovereignty so that they can be like, you know what? Actually, this is a great piece of art. Fuck you. And you know what? This is a great piece of music and it's okay if you don't like it. I love you and this is my song or this is my business or this is the way I'm going to dress my kid or whatever it is. Like there's so many people out there who have that experience. And so now you get to talk, you're the wiser you. What what would you say to your 22-year-old, 25-year-old self who is seeking to find her voice as an artist on this planet? and make a difference with her art? I think that I would probably tell someone to keep creating and that there, there's no perfection in the art, right? So it's just about producing. And as you, if, you, if you stop producing because you're fearful uh, or you're looking to produce because you're trying to fit into a category, um, you're going to hit a blockade. But if you, if you just produce what you want to produce and, you, again, you're true to who you are and you're being authentic, you, you, can't, you can't go wrong. Um, and that you, I think today it's a little different. You don't have to fit in as much maybe as you did before social media days or days when there was a very different way of communicating and art was extremely different. Um, we didn't even have the mass digital art that we have today that's out there. Uh, I think it's just learn. I think you need to learn if you wanted to be an artist, you need to learn the techniques. You need to understand uh, their traditions and the background and, and how to actually create something. But then you need to take that and you need to unlearn it. And that's what I kind of, I'm spending my time is on, I practice unlearning everything that I learned. It's very hard to do that. It's almost like going back to being a kid uh, when they color and they create at a certain point before they become really aware of what they're doing. Um, and then they want things to look exactly like something or they want uh, to create something that is a spitting image of and they become critical. It's almost like trying to get back to that point. I spend every day trying to get back to a point where I balance what I know in technique, but unlearning and having to get back to kind of this innocence within the art. Wow. That's amazing. It sounds like music too. It's kind of like you learn all the the keys and the chords and all the stuff, and then you go do jazz improv, (laughs) you know, but you still have some obviously technique and things in there, but it's kind of like, how can I go on all these different jam sessions and, you know, like a jam band or a jazz improv. So it's, it's, it's so remarkable. So Narissa, you know, I like what you're saying about fitting in. And now we've got obviously so many spheres of opportunity for people to be, create their own artistic tribe, to create, be a part of different types of tribes on the planet. Um, You were speaking earlier about the art scene in Miami being not as balanced masculine and feminine. And I don't want to say men and women, but you know, I, I wonder, you, you know, you were talking about, you started working with another artist and collaborating on how can you help empower women um, to have more of a voice and more of a presence in an art scene that is more male. Um, dominated. dominated. Yeah, <laughs> I know, is. I hate that word. But yeah, just popular. Uh, you know, <laughs> so. it's, it's, 
it's really funny. So I've been back now seven months full time working as an artist. Uh, and my goal this year and at the end of last year in 2018 was reaching out and finding other artists that were, I liked their work where I felt we had synergy. I may not know them, but um, try to direct message them or get to know them, connect and um, find ways in which we could collaborate. And in all honesty, I don't, I didn't really know when I was reaching out what collaboration meant outside of bringing our heads together and saying, what could we do? Whether it's creating a piece together, what does that even look like? How do you have two artists that create the same piece? Do we try to do a public art project and go out there together as a team or what did it mean? So anyhow, I recently um, met up with this artist, Cloud. Um, she's, by the way, at A-K-A-C-L-O-D, Cloud. Um, her name's Claudia, but she goes by Cloud as her art name. Uh, and we were talking yesterday and it ended up being like a four-hour creative thinking session for us that we didn't even know we were going to have. I invited her to my studio. She'd never been we were talking a lot in general, just um, resources, materials, and a little bit about each of our stories. And and what we started to find in our conversation was that is really hard uh, to. It was really hard for both of us to connect um, with female artists in that were local to Miami, mainly because uh, there are female artists. There, uh, it's definitely a male-dominated area because most of the art that comes out of Miami or Wynwood is urban street art, which typically tends to be more uh, male-dominated. Um, you find very few urban muralists or graffiti artists that are women. Um, and then, if you're not a if you're not a muralist or urban artist in that way, you might not be as seen or on the scene as much. Um, and it's hard to find you. Now, there are a number of galleries we also started talking about that had phenomenal artwork. Uh, and there would be like on a list of artists that they show out of 45, one would be a woman and the rest would be men. And that's not even street art or urban art. Uh, that's It could be urban art or it could be pop art or something. But it, it wasn't a mural and it wasn't graffiti or something you think that might be labor intensive or it might be harder for girls to get up scaffolding and do things like that in, in some way. These are people that were hanging stuff in a gallery. So we found it fascinating. There's even a gallery owned by two women who uh, is a woman run gallery who primarily shows male artists. And um, so we got to talking and we were saying there were other, there were some groups of, of women artists, but we didn't feel like we necessarily fit in as much um, with them in terms of uh, their messaging or content. Um, and when we started thinking about collaboration, we said, instead of maybe joining a project that already exists or applying to a public project together um, to start to gain awareness, what was our message? And both of us have the same message in our artwork. Visually, we try to discuss authenticity and living authentically. And while we had very different stories, we had um, very similar uh, responses to our stories, which are, uh, it's a choice. And the choice is we choose to be an, uh, an artist on a day-to-day -day basis and to give up the career. So she was very similar in terms of how I was in terms of having a, a good career and a nice uh, financial stability. She gave up everything more of a, like an eat, pray, love and left 
everything and went around the world for a year and uh, was looking to find what it was. And truly inside, she wanted to, you know, return to her artwork. And I, in a different way, um, also found myself returning to art and saying, uh, if there's one thing I want to pursue or do before I leave this earth is, is I want to um, give myself, I want to take advantage of an opportunity I have now and I have that opportunity to take it. So if I don't take it now, I'll never really know uh, what it felt meant or to be like living as an artist. So we both made the same choice to say we make a commitment to it. Um, and in that, uh, means different things for both of us. And so together we thought it would be, uh, a little advantageous to reach out to a local school here. That's an art school. It's government run, but um, you have to apply to get in and very talented, gifted students go there. Uh, we wanted to set up um, something that's in the works where we could create a public space um, in the Miami Design District uh, where it's a venue where we have 10 or 15 girls, female senior students, um, that apply by sharing their stories in life and why they chose art as uh, a direction or path for them. And hopefully then they would apply to that. And then through that, we would choose 10 or 15 of them and from different disciplines so that we're representing uh, different avenues of creativity um, and create a, uh, create a show that's based off of co-elevation co where we are, we are elevating each other um, as women artists. Um, you know, we're obviously a little bit older, <laughs> Claude and I in our 40s, and they're a little bit younger, but hopefully being mentors and allowing a space that is um, unstructured in terms of the educational environment to be able to now have a voice and what does that voice say and take those collect collective stories and create an exhibition um, around them and a voice uh, as a female artist that is in Miami. So, Oh my God, I love it. Do you have a name for it yet? Have you, have you dreamstormed that? We are. We're, we've got a couple of different things. Um, and I, I think I, I still have to massage it a little. Um, and they would also, I think, need to be approved if we're going in tandem with partnering with uh, the school system on that cool. in some way. But um, I use co-elevation because it's it. actually how Cloud and I came together um, in the sense that we are both meeting not for any specific opportunity for us to gain um, solely one off, but it was like, I have information, you have information, how can we get together and help one another in general or create something cool if that's just it and, and connect. Yeah. Um, so in that, that's what we hope to, to do for other people. And it's, it's about the artwork being more than just us as the artist that creates it. It's something larger than that. And I think that's where we get our high off of is being able to help see other people grow. It is. It's like, I, I so feel that I get high helping people get high, like, <laughs> like naturally, like elevation. Yeah, yeah. And so that's like my little jam, one of my dorky jams. Um, <laughs> but um, Narissa, I think this is so fascinating too, because, you know, we do all need mentors, you know, it's, it's critical to have mentors in our, in areas where we are needing to grow and wish to grow and wish to serve. And so having a mentor like you and, um, is phenomenal. Like how cool would that, would, what, did you have a mentor when you were 
you know, in, in school? Like, did you have an assigned mentor? Did you have somebody that you gravitated towards that was like your coach or your, you know, just somebody who's like your Yoda? I didn't. I didn't. I think, um, I think I didn't. And I think that's why I I feel so passionate and always wanting to provide help to others. Um, I didn't have that from an artistic standpoint. I don't think I really had that from an emotional standpoint. And I'm not sure if it's that I didn't because there wasn't that person or if I didn't because I didn't allow people in. I'm not really sure uh, why. And I'm, I'm not really that concerned why I did or didn't. Um, but I know that I'm, I'm focused on, I love to be able to provide that. I know we have a, a family, we have a, or some friends of ours have a daughter. Um, and I, I didn't realize that she was art, an artist and she was going, she's going to an art school. She's 12. She's in the area. She's um, a beautiful young woman. I mean, like very stunning, uh, who I didn't know actually was bullied a lot at school. And she recently changed schools and goes to this art school and, her parents have seen that art has given her a, an outlet and that she actually has done well and has been accepted somewhere in terms of the, the talent that she has to cultivate. And when I heard this and I was listening to it, I thought I, I couldn't believe it. I, literally, I was like stunned. So it's always fascinating to me about stories that people have that you don't know that's go, what's going on in their own lives. And I would think, this girl is bullied? Like, if anything, I would have thought this girl is like on the, you know, massive popular list with like friends fawning all over just because of her physical ability. And she's really nice and personable. So when I was listening to her story and I heard that art makes her feel a certain way, I, in, I invited her to come to the studio on Sunday. We'll see if she's still coming. But I was like, she can't come this Sunday, come another. And I was like, let's just paint. Let's, let's do some stuff that's not an assignment. So there's nothing guaranteed on that. And I have some ideas and I was like, we'll do something together. And it's in a space that, you know, I think as someone young and aspiring to be something would be a really cool space to come and see this communal kind of art space that we have down in little Haiti. So it's just, again, something to um, provide someone some comfort in an area sometimes where they don't, they might not be getting it. So while I talked about discomfort this week, there's also about being able to provide comfort, but I feel like I'm able to do that only because I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable, you know? Wow. I love hearing this story and it's super inspirational because you can mentor people with whatever your gift is. And obviously your gift is in being an artist. And so whatever it is, that is something that we can do, whether it's cooking, whether it's fixing a car, it doesn't matter. Like put yourself out there and, and give it away, give it away to someone who's your younger self, you know, and that's going to trickle down. It's that pay it forward, you know? And yeah, I can relate. I didn't have, I didn't call in mentors for myself when I was younger because I had a story that I needed to do it all by myself. And if I didn't do it by myself, then it means I wasn't good enough. And so I, and I still struggle a little bit with some of that inner talk. That's just like, well, you should be able to figure this stuff out on your own. If you have to ask for help, it means you're stupid or it means, you know, something's wrong with you, Val. And it's like, that's total baloney, you know? Um, so I invite all, all of us, you know, it doesn't matter where we are. We could be 80 years old and it's like, well, I could have a mentor who's 90 who can tell me what it's like to be a couple steps down the road further on this path than I am. And so, you know, getting out of our own way to receive support from people who've been along a path a little further than us and, and giving support. So it's like this golden chain, you know, in Kundalini Yoga, we talk about 
the golden chain with the teachers and the wisdom and passing it down and forward. Um, and we really are as a human race, we're all interconnected in this tapestry. So, you know, if you need some help with your health, find somebody who's, you know, overcome cancer and figure out how to get that because a lot of people are struggling with that. If you need to go get, you know, a business up and running, find somebody to support you with that. If you don't know how to change a diaper and it keeps falling off your kid, find somebody, you know, it's like, it's okay to ask for, for, for support and to, to pay it forward and be a mentor. So, wow. I love that. And I love hearing you say, it's like, you know, framing your life. I mean, nobody knows how much time we have. Right. And we, we imagine like, cool, I've got this, you know, 80, 75 year life expectancy. Cause that's what some statistic says. And we all know that that's a statistic and we all know that like a bus could come by tomorrow, but it's like, we don't make choices with well, a lot of us make choices thinking that, yep, I got another, you know, 30 years to go, or I got another 50 years to go. And, and I love seeing like your, you're really prolific lately with your art and with your action on the planet and what you're doing because of, you know, some health scares that you've had. And you really, it's like shifted your perspective to be like, I actually need to go do this thing, you know, and you may get another 50 years. You may have the bus. We don't, none of us know. So it's like, why not adopt that mentality and that mindset every day and go you know, produce like quality, whatever the quality is, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just go do the thing that is in your heart. And that's like, wants to come out, you know, as your legacy. Um, and just because you have kids, you know, or just cause you have a different career or whatever, it, that's no excuse. Like go start doing the thing, What you know, one little step at a time. It doesn't, you know, it may turn into the thing where you yeah, I'm going to quit this day job so that I can go do my art full time. Or I may, you know, start working half time and not be a staying at home mom all the time. You know, whatever it is, there's always a next step, you know? And I I try to be mindful and respectful because there are a lot of different types of people coming from different areas out there. And, and what I can say is for me is I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate to be able to go be doing art full time. Um, and I, that's because of some specific opportunities that have come into play for me. But that's because I was given an opportunity and then I ran with it. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes I, I, I try to put myself a lot in other people's shoes and say, maybe someone on the other side listening to this is like, what? But I'm a single mom and I have two kids and I have to work full time. And, you know, I, my dream is to be a singer. And I just, you know... I think it's a understanding what the dream is, right? So to me, it's like this. If you don't have the time to, or the finances or the ability to quit a job and run off and be an artist, let me tell you, don't make anything being an artist, like uh, starting out. It's nothing, okay? So you have to be able to live off of what you have. And, um, and it, it's very expensive. <laughs> like There's a lot of materials and things, like just expenses that's like you bleed out expenses in, in art supplies. Um, but it's not about, it's not about necessarily going from A to Z. It's like, if you wanted to be a singer and that's what you have a passion and you think you're pretty good, or you don't even know if you're good at it, take some voice lessons. Like, you know, and if you can't afford, afford to get an instructor for it, 
I'm sure you have internet or somewhere has internet that you can get on and do do some YouTube videos and put some headset on and, and have some fun just singing or trying to sing. If you wanted to do art uh, and you feel you are already an artist and you're having a hard time, it's, it's just create the art because it's not about the necessarily the end goal of it. It's that process and the journey of it. So even if you can't leave what you're doing in your life at the moment and your big dream is to be something reevaluate is your big dream is like I want to be famous and successful there's nothing wrong with wanting wanting that but there's a reality behind that and it doesn't just happen and that has to work so what do you have in the moment to live the dream that you have in a passion that you've something you want to do then do it if you love to cook Start cooking for yourself, your family, your friends, or your neighbors. You know what I mean? Like, there's just small steps to doing it. It doesn't have to be like the massive dream in the moment. And I think that that's where some people get very daunted and and held back is that they can't have the dream what they want and they can't see a way to make it happen. The first way to make it happen is just small steps in in what you're doing. If you were an ice skater and you love to ice skate. Um, and you used to do it full time and you went to college and maybe you had a chance at being something in the Olympics or whatever it is, but it didn't happen for you and you work a full time job and you have a family, then get your ass up at four or five in the morning and go to a local rink and just start to skate a little bit again. And it, it, it's, you know, you ha- I feel like there's a, there's a couple things. People get daunted by an idea and then they back away. And then there's the accountability for if you want to do it, you have to make time for it and you have to be realistic about what it is. So the big dream is great, but it's all the little parts that get you there. You have to start somewhere, you know? Dude, totally. Like the journey of a thousand miles begins with one, the first step, you know? I think that's yeah. Lotte, Lotte. But that's exactly what I was thinking too. And I love that you totally said ex- what I was thinking because it's like, yep, like we, a lot of people do, they have this, that big vision of, you know, I want this bigger thing. And then they do, they get daunted and they're like, well, if I can't do that, I might as well just not do it, you know? And it's like, no, revisit, like, what can you do each day to still fill your soul up with the parts of your dream, you know? And it may take some time. And I really do find that when you say yes to your dream. And even if it's little micro steps, somehow the universe starts clearing the path and you start magnetizing magic in your life. Like you said, like if you like to cook, cook for your friends and family, like I know a woman who started a soup business because her friends and family liked her soup so much and she would start cooking soup for them and make this yummy homemade soup. And now she's got a business about, and it wasn't something that was like, I have to be the next soup guy. You know, it was like, I'm going to do this thing. And it just she started magnetizing things toward her that were helping her feed the bigger dream because she was saying yes to the the steps, the micro steps each day that she said yes to. So, you know, I love that. And, and I do, I get like, there's, I'm a single mom now and it's like, I, I, I do, I have to go out and rock, you know? I mean, I have a, a, a big dream, but it's like, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take me years and years and years to get, this dream out into the world where, but it's like just one little step at a time and we can do it and we can make the commitment. Like if it means you get up 10 minutes earlier to do something, you know, because your kids are going to wake up or whatever it is, it's like schedule your dream. 
you know, yeah. sch- schedule yeah. your dream in your life. Like you said, getting up at the skating rink. Um, there's so many ways and you're not alone people. We know that like, it's freaking hard. And when your energy sucks and your bank account's getting its ass kicked by the market, especially last <laughs> month, you know, like whatever the thing is, like, oh, it's hard. It's so hard. And if you can just say yes to your dream a little bit each day, it, it's going to start shifting your your magnetism around it and and really believing that you're worth your big dream and you got this and we got this together, people. So go find your tribe, say yes to new people, new places, new things. And I promise, promise, promise you, this is a formula and it works. And just do little things at a time. And Narissa and I are living proof of saying yes to our dreams one little step at a time even when there's seemingly insurmountable obstacles. So we got this peeps. So Nerissa, any, any last things you want to say, where's everybody going to start running and finding you online, your website, all your social media, and you know, what, what's your, your last message you want to share with the, the big dream jockeys of the big dream school? Well, I guess First, you can find me online for sure. My website is narissaballand.art. So it's N-E-R-I-S-S-A-B-A, B as in boy, A-L-L-A-N-D dot art. Um, and I use that same name, Narissa Balland Art, for my handle on Instagram. It's also on Facebook as Narissa Balland Art. Um, so it's, it's pretty easy that way. Or if you can't remember or you forget how to spell it, cause it's a little bit of a, a strange name in terms of not that memorable, you can find me, Valerie follows me on Instagram. So you can just start to type in N-E-R and it'll, should pop up. <laughs> um, oh, cool. Yay. <laughs> so, uh, um, what I would say is, you know, Obviously, I'd love for people to connect with me on Instagram um, and Facebook. My website has um, more information about my work and, and me um, in general, uh, but it's not, it's not living and breathing in terms of changing content on a daily basis like Instagram or Facebook is. And um, if there are artists out there that have any questions or just want to chat or connect in any way, I'm... Um, always open to wanting to find possibilities and collaboration or connecting and, and whatever that means, whether it's creating something uh, tangible or just some ideas or anything like that. Um, so hope, hopefully we'll connect and you'll reach out. Yeah, definitely check out Narissa's art. It's gorgeous and fun and inspirational and playful. Some of it's a little weird. I, and I love <laughs> it. It's just all like, and I love I really love what you're doing with all your Instagram, like your posts. Like I love how you're impose, superimposing your art in all these cool different scenes. Like that's yeah, I picked that up from other people I saw on their accounts. Oh. It's definitely like a that's definitely like an, a, something that's happening out there. It's not like I reinvented the wheel, but um, but you're but, using the wheel well, yeah, so you know absolutely. you're rocking the wheel. <laughs> it's really cool though, because it really I love it. I think it's so cool what you're doing, and I love all your. I love seeing everything that you're up to. You're super inspiring. I'm super excited to hear about your your new mentor, uh, mentee, this young girl. And I'm super excited to learn more about the women's um, art thing with the school and what your guys are up to. So please always keep us posted. Yeah. And 
possibly by the time this episode actually goes live, you may have a little bit more info that we can put in the show notes. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll definitely let everybody know what Nurse is up to on this planet. So holy cow, this was an awesome interview. I'm so grateful and I feel so happy. I hope you all oh, wait, have, I have one oh, side yeah, note. totally okay cool this is a side note from art or any of that but if there are any listeners or people out there that um are diagnosed with cancer or something potentially that is more i'm going to say life-threatening in that way or and you're a mom and you tend to be younger and you have a hard time finding like a support group or anything like that i'm i'm happy to connect with you and share any resources or things that um, helped me along the way. Because I will say, young women um, facing in, in cancer or dealing, um, I'm going to specifically say with cancer because that's really been where I've been at, but uh, it's harder to find uh, support because not as many people come forward with illnesses like that younger. And typically with cancer, you tend to see it's common, more older people um, or even groups that are provided at hospitals or places tend to be uh, for older people, or that's who actually goes. And there's really um, very minimal resources out there for, for young moms or moms with, with kids um, that are young and, and trying to kind of go through that process. So if there's anyone out there that's going through that right now and has any questions or um, just wants to talk, you can reach out to me, um, direct message me and, uh, and I'll reach back out to you. Wow. That's so awesome. Narissa, thank you for the, your generosity and your care and concern and just bringing it to people's attention too, with the young, younger demographic and how we might feel a little more isolated or alone in different journeys. So especially this, the journey of cancer recovery and, Conquering cancer. We got to come up with a name. Like <laughs> a better conquer. name. Yeah, a better name. Um, but yeah, that feels that feels really sweet. Um, yeah, so everybody just, you know, remember you're not alone on this journey of life. And we are all here together. We are this rock and roll love tribe on the planet. And when we can open ourselves up to say yes to our tribe, yes to our dream, yes to our soul, yes to our truth magic really can continue to appear and and grow and blossom in our lives. And so on that note, thank you so much, Narissa. You, you are like awesome. This has been so fun. I feel so privileged to get to be with you and spend all this time together. And I can't wait to continue to see what you're up to. So this is going to be great. And how about we all take a big inhale and exhale and then we will, I'll leave, um, I'll let everybody know in the the outro where the show notes are and revisit, you know, where to find all of Narissa's stuff. All of the things that Narissa mentioned is in this episode are going to be in the show notes on the DJ Valerie Beloved website. So yay. All right, everybody inhale with me. (sighs) 
All right, Dream Jockeys. Thank you for tuning in and jump on over to djvaleriebelove.com forward slash 018 planned discomfort. Get your free download sheet that is your dream sheet that you get to use for this week's experiment. And it's going to be a good one. Also tune in to the Facebook page every Monday and Thursday at 11, 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And we'll be talking about the the interviews. We'll be talking about the podcast. It's going to be awesome. And then if you're interested in moving the needle forward on your dreams and on your big visions, join the Big Dream School Facebook group. It's a free group. I'm in there every week. We're talking about the experiment of the week. So getting support on your dreams with other like-minded and like-hearted big dream jockeys just like you. And so right after the Facebook page live, we have a Q&A in the group. So it's really awesome. And you got to get over there to the Big Dream School Facebook group. All right. Aloha. Thanks again for listening to this awesome Big Dream School podcast. If you received any benefit and you like it, it would mean the world to me. If you could please take a moment to send us a review on iTunes and subscribe. It will help us get this message and these tools out there to all of the big dreamers like you. Thank you again and many, many blessings to you and your day.